Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna and my guest today is Dr. Alicia Britcholi. Uh, Dr. Alicia is a speaker, a leadership mentor, and award-winning writer. Uh, Dr. Alicia has authored eight books including Anonymous, Jesus' Hidden Years and Yours, 40 Days of Decrease, and in this episode we talk about her book The Sacred Slow, A Holy Departure from Fast Faith. Uh, Dr. Alicia holds a doctorate in leadership and spiritual formation from George Fox Evangelical Seminary and is the founding director and lead mentor of Leadership Investment in Intensives Inc. That sounds impressive. <laughs> a nonprofit devoted to providing personal soul care to leaders in the marketplace and church. And talks about a lot about mentoring uh, in this episode, and that's part of that whole uh, intensive. Uh, I really enjoyed her book, and I, I think you can pick that up from the conversation. But I hope this conversation also encourages you uh, with your walk with Jesus, and maybe to dive into some of her writings. As I look forward to getting to, into some of the other ones as well. So without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Alicia Bricholi. Well, uh, Alicia, Dr. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's good to be with you all. Uh, it's uh, As I was mentioning before we hit record, I, I got done reading A Sacred Slow and I just uh, just loved it. Uh, it was, uh, I, I said to someone, it's uh, probably one of my uh, top favorite books in the last couple of years that I've read. Uh, I already gave away my copy well, to my wife and, and then uh, bought another copy for another uh, uh, friend. So uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, can you kind of, since we'll start with that one, I know you have other books. Uh, you've come out with Anonymous since then. Is that uh, the latest book? Anonymous was towards the beginning. And so the Anonymous came out in 2006. Okay. And then 40 Days of Decrease, I think 2015. The Sacred Slows, the more recent one, 2017, I think. Okay. Well, I guess I, I, I heard you uh, in pre- preparation for this. I was listening to your interview with Susie Larson. You were talking about Anonymous. Oh, yes. so. <laughs> yeah. Because she's going to be on the show here soon as well. So, uh, so what, what was kind of the origin of the sacred slow? Well, I think at its, you know, roots really was the gift God gave me of mentors from the very beginning. And so I was a very um, adamant atheist and Jesus interrupted my existence. And then one of the very first giftings he gave to me as a new follower of Jesus, a brand new university student, he brought mentors into my life and people who would listen to me who would direct me to the word, who prayed for me. And so mentoring was really in my DNA from the very beginning. And when I was about, oh, I think I've been walking with Jesus for two to three years, my pastor gave me my first mentoring group. And so investing in other people intentionally with customized care and confidentially has been at the very, very beginning of my faith journey. And so really what the sacred slow is, is sort of the best of 35 years of mentoring. When I look back over the leaders and learners, I've had the joy of walking alongside of and recalled what principles, what teachings, what illustrations seem to resonate the most with their hearts and their lives that had the most practical application, the most long-term fruit. That's what I pulled together in what was initially called the seventh year. And my husband and I direct a nonprofit and we provide very intentional mentoring year-long experiences for leaders in the marketplace and the church. And so the material originally was to guide them sort of as the backbone through the 52-week experience. And who would have thought that my publisher wanted me to put it in print? So there's the origin. Well, well I, I'm glad your publisher did. Uh, it's, yes. uh, I think it's a, re- a resource that... I even looked forward to going back to, which I'm, I'm one of those people who have a hard time reading books a second time because there's so many out there. I want to get on to other stuff, but I'm looking forward to going back through that again. Uh, diving into a little bit, uh, 
I mean, I'll probably jump all over the place because uh, uh, there was, I, I was showing someone my notes off of the book and it's just like scrolling for pages, <laughs> <laughs> uh, quotes here and there. Uh, but uh, one of the things that you talk about when you're talking about sacred slow and kind of uh, the pace of life and you t talk about the importance of margin uh, in that context. Uh, and in our world, that's really not a, a, a given uh, that people have margin in their life. Do you have any advice for someone who uh, feels the need for margin, but just doesn't even know where to begin? They want to spend, <laughs> so like this is, I don't even know if that's possible in their life. That's what they would feel like or whatever. Do you any advice for how they, they can begin? Yes, how much time do we have? <laughs> I think this is one of the challenges that we have. Margin was a concept that I was first exposed to through the writings of Dr. Richard Swenson. And I believe that the new title of his book is called Managing the Overload Syndrome, but I would highly recommend it to any listeners. It was an outstanding book. He's a medical doctor. And his basic premise was that let's say, you know, from A to C is how much energy God gives us every day, but that, you know, we'll like put a B at the 75% mark. Just for the sake of illustration, <laughs> B to C was supposed to be used up. B to C was supposed to be saved um, as quote unquote margin, sort of a reservoir that we build up, that we reserve, that we call upon in times of need, in times where we have to go not just the extra mile, but the extra 10 miles and in times of crisis. But that what our culture has taught us to do is we use up A to C in daily living. So we have no reservoir. We have nothing to call upon. So when the crisis does come, when the 10th mile does come, it pushes us past C into the red zone that if we continue in that place, we experience burnout. So the first time I was exposed to that, I thought, what is he talking about? I mean, surely that gave me all the energy I have today to use today. But really, that's not the pattern that we see in scripture. I mean, what, what was the seventh day all about? Really, it was, in a sense, a margin where we rest and we're renewed and we settle into God's love and God designed not just the seventh day, but the way he created the whole planet as it you know, rotates on its axis. We had day, we had night. Margin was built in in the beginning, but with all of our technological advances and all of our mistaking abundance for obedience, we have zapped all of that and we have nothing left for times of crisis. So, you know, where do we start practically? Can I refer you to someone else's book? because it was such a foundation stone for me. Swenson's book was outstanding. There's another book that partners with it, and I have everyone I mentor read this book. It's called Adrenaline and Stress, and it is written by another psychologist. Oh, my goodness, is it heart? Mm, might be. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I'll look it up. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes, and those two books together are a great, starting space. Uh, and I think too, part of the challenge is that we have become so uh, focused on visible fruitfulness that perhaps we've either started underestimating or maybe we've even forgotten how God treasures the unseen as much as the visible. That there are things that happen in our soul that just need to be watered by time and stillness and seeming unproductivity. So I, I think that one of the helpful things I encourage the people I mentor to consider is their attitude towards time in general, their theology of time. Is time a Grinch or is it a gift? Is it something that's against us or is it for us. And our theology of time affects how we view each moment and what we think we need to cram it full of. So those would be the starting blocks. Your theology of time, spend time considering that and get these two books because they're game changers. Well, you talk about the theology of time in the Sacred Slow and there, 
for some of us who are probably why well, those personality tests, I, I, achievements probably one of my top. Uh, I, I, I create on vacation. I feel the need to to write down uh, things and then cross it off just so I I, I feel like I uh, is the is the theology of time maybe harder for people who you know, are to do list orientated, or is that just our culture today now? Well. I'm guessing it's hard for everyone, but I think those of us who like to make lists and check things off, yes, we want to maximize time. I mean, we view time as an issue of stewardship, don't we? In these two hours, if I could read a book or help a soul or write a something, surely that would be more productive than taking a nap. Well, not always. (laughs) (laughs) Not always. But at the same breath, and this is, again, one of the heartbeats of the sacred slow, Kevin, is that God's longing in drawing us deeper into relationship with him is not for Martha's to start acting like Mary's. It's not for us to all, you know, switch out the letters of our Myers-Briggs. <laughs> but the heartbeat of the sacred slow is that we would begin to do with God everything we're doing, think with God everything we're thinking, be with God everywhere we're being. It's the with God that begins to build that reservoir and change how we view some of the givens in our culture that are absolutely exhausting us. And to me, thinking with God was the hardest one. I can be physically still. Um, Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ. I am contemplative. I love to think but my restlessness wasn't with my feet or with my hands or even with my daytime or my restlessness was always with my mind. I always wanted to be learning, always growing. You know, I remember there was this one sad little moment when my husband and I were first married and he is, oh, he's such a good and patient man. He's my mentor. Barry said to me, Hey babe, why don't we go sit over by the fireplace? And I said, uh, okay, and do what? <laughs> he was like, well, I mean, just sit. Just sit by the fireplace. And I love my husband and I love being with him. He's my best friend. But the way my brain is wired is productivity. And I said, well, for how long? And he said, well, I don't know, babe. I thought we would just sort of sit together by the fireplace. And true story, Kevin, I said, that sounds great. Let me go get a book. <laughs> Yeah, so again, I devoured another something or learned another something about whatever. Um, It was my mental restlessness that God began to address in what, you know, we see the overflow of for years and years on the sacred slope. That's where productivity was my challenge. What is is that silence then of not thinking or... Maybe describe uh, what that process is then from moving from contemplation to the mm-hmm. secret slow then in your mind. Yes, in my mind. I, one of the, um, in fact, I just got done teaching on this a couple of days ago. I talk about the concept, which isn't a brand new one, I'm sure, of letting God mentor our minds. So true intellectual strength is not the ability to think. True intellectual strength is the ability to choose what to think and when to think. And that is not the message I received in my secular studies. Bachelors, masters, <laughs> that the thought wasn't true intellectual strength is the ability to choose what to think and when to think. True intellectual strength was just the ability and the integrity to think about everything everybody asks you to think about. <laughs> And so every thought that comes across my brain, every opinion or every suggestion that anybody made, intellectual integrity, I was told, was attending to it in in force, whatever it happened to be, which leaves us in this constant state of distraction and exhaustion because thoughts don't generally line up politely and (laughs) turn off the light at 5 p.m. I mean, it's just exhausting. So when when it occurred to me that, um, true strength was choosing, not just thinking, but choosing what I was going to think. Well, then I need a mentor to choose. And I'm asking Jesus to mentor my mind. And practically, it looks like this in two different ways. On a daily basis, I'm like, okay, Jesus, 
we've got a couple of things on our day timer today. What do you want to attend to first? Um, should we answer emails first? Uh, can I go back to that great biography first? <laughs> Please. <laughs> the practical details, I'm driving, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, you know, the light's red here, and you know, what, what do we want to think about together? I'm thinking with him. As opposed to just in his presence or having him observe me, I want to train my mind to constantly be in the plural. I'm thinking with him. Another way it manifests for me, Kevin, is I'm asking Jesus whether or not I have his permission to explore certain things intellectually. Jesus, do I have your permission to listen to this podcast with you? Do I have your permission to read this book with you? Because I don't, if I can't do it with him, I certainly don't want to do it without him. And I found that when I started to think with Jesus, my mind started gaining some new muscle. Because just because it was always on, that doesn't mean it was disciplined. It was distracted by every thought that came across my radar. But when I start asking Jesus, if I have permission to think something with him, to consider something, to read something, to listen to something with him, what I'm doing is I'm restraining my muscles. I'm, I am directing them in, in submission, in a place to follow. So Jesus is the leader, my mind is the follower, and I want to learn to invite his leadership in my head. Um, there's this great quote from Oswald Chambers. Oh my word, it's right out there. But anyway, it's from Leagues of Light, which is the, his personal journal, journal for the last two years of his life, 1915 to 1917. And one day somebody came to him and they said, what do you think the greatest challenge in theological education is? And he said, swelled head. Um, <laughs> he said, we have to learn how to help our intellect be the follower and not the leader of our faith. And again, I, he said it so much more eloquently. But I asked Jesus to mentor my mind. And it has, I cannot tell you, um, the fruit from it for me personally. Wait, in the, in the book you talk, you compare your idea of thinking with sorting mail, uh, yes. the junk mm -hmm. mail versus the regular mail and having to, uh, I love that, that picture of, uh, of how to, how to kind of process your, your own thinking. Some things aren't as, as important as other things, like the checks in the mail. We want to take care of those. Right. <laughs> uh, does it, does it feel like it, uh, because you said you talked about muscle, does it uh, get easier with time for you? Or does it always, like you're always feeling that, that pull? Oh, I think there are certain parts of it that get easier. Uh, in, the, in the book, when I talk about sorting the mail, I talk about how, you know, when you go pick up all of your mail, you have a couple different categories. You've got the clear junk, you trash it, right? <laughs> and you have the stuff that you kind of look at because you weren't sure what it was, and then you trash it. And then you have the things that are going to need a little bit of attention and you're either going to trash them or file them. And then you have the keepers, the things that you need to read and reread, you need to take action on and how mentally we need to start learning to sort the mail because even given endless attention, junk mail will never evolve into wisdom. <laughs> right. And, um, it, and so we have all of these different thoughts that come across our mental desk and we've, got to sort the mail. Initially, it was very difficult for me because again, my academic training said, give equal attention to everything, which was exhausting. Um, and then when I started realizing, no, I, I really don't have to think about that right now. But now the greater challenge I have isn't so much in sorting my daily mail, it's sorting the relational mail. When there's uh, relational challenges or relational pain, that that still, I don't know that that will ever cease to be a challenge of, okay, what is beneficial right now? What is helpful right now? Um, what is a way in which I'm mentally contributing to whatever it happens to be a, a, a plan or healing? And, and what are ways that I'm just kind of spinning in the mud mentally, seeking for answers where there are none? Trying to... Uh take every thought captive from that standpoint mm -hmm. uh, and saying yes. uh, what is hey, just because it's a thought doesn't mean you have to think it. <laughs> yes. and, and that scripture then goes on to say, um, making every thought obedient 
to Christ. And, and we just don't even think about thoughts having a will, but they do. <laughs> you know, our, our will and our mind are just, uh, they, they sing this duet so closely together. And when our will can start submitting to Jesus while we're thinking, wow. I mean, for me, it's been a birthplace of um, not only mental discipline and greater peace, because I'm not giving all my daily supply of you know emotional energy on, on things that aren't producing anything it's also been a great source of productivity because it's caused me to reacquaint things like waiting and stillness and scripture meditation i, I now have the margin to invest in some more creative uses of my mental energy hey speaking of mental energy hi I, I was one of those people who uh, was reading the appendixes and, and, <laughs> and, and in there you, you, you have a quote eat, uh, to your children, eat your greens and read your appendixes. Yeah. Uh, so I got there. So I get a cookie or something. No, <laughs> uh, But it, it got me thinking because I was uh, right. you come from an academic background with uh, uh, knowing that you I don't have a doctorate, but if you get a doctorate, there's there's a certain rigor that goes uh, with that. Uh, and you've talked about uh, the idea of uh, not letting that guide you. And uh, but how how would you encourage someone who's uh, who wants to give their mind to God to uh, to uh, grow in? And it may not be an academic setting. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, I would love to be in school for the rest of my days. <laughs> but you know, most of life isn't in school. Most of life doesn't offer us a structure for us to grow in, let alone deadlines to grow by. So for me, one of the greatest things for my mind, and I'm going to mention some other um, tools and suggestions as well, but has been slow soaking in small portions of scripture. I... You know, I grew up in more of an inductive study model, and I love that, and that's still a part of my life. And um, then I started reading through the Bible every year, which was great until I got more obsessed with being behind than what the content was. <laughs> Clearly, I need a break. And so now I just do slow soaks. I've been in the book of Luke three or four years. It took me like, I don't know, four or five years to get through Mark. And I take tiny little pieces, and I just roll them over in my mind over and over and over again. And I'm amazed at, at um, what I see that I had never seen in other kind of study models. And we have this, uh, we still, I think, mentally prefer quantity over quality, especially in an information age. But for the birth of creativity, for um, the expansion of our mind, quality, really does trump quantity. So slow little pieces of scripture. And think of it like a great piece of chocolate dissolving in your mouth. And you're just letting that little sentence dissolve and engage your imagination and engage your heart. And that has been a beautiful thing for my growth. I, I would say another one of my favorites are biographies. Oh, Kevin, I love biographies. I love reading about people's real lives. And I was very influenced by missionary biographies as a young follower of Jesus. And I've been recently reading biographies about um, Oswald Chambers and Catherine Booth and John of the Cross. And I'm just, oh, I, I just wrote, read a lovely little book called Well With My Soul that has the story of four hymn writers. Anyway, I love biographies. They're an easier read for me, but they, um, they stretch my mind. I, I, my own story with uh, biographies, I, I, when I was a kid, we, uh, I was on the mission field and we had to go to piano lessons. I was part of the, and I did not have a pleasant experience with piano. So, so my parents finally gave me grace and said, you don't have to, but if you're going to, while your brother's at piano, you can read biographies. And so I, from an early age, I, I remember reading like Spurgeon and, 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 and hearing about him wanting to be a 
a pastor, or he became a pastor at 16 and then another church at 19. And so that became my goal in life. So, <laughs> and I was, I was a, pa- a senior pastor at 19. So, <laughs> but I love biographies. Any other, uh, before we leave that, cause I, I love biography, any, uh, bi- specific biographies that come to mind that you, uh, well, I, um, I loved um, Abandoned to God about Oswald Chambers. I think that's by McClaslin. I should have done this interview over in my office. I'm actually <laughs> because my office is too cold. Um, I loved Search for Nothing about John of the Cross by, I believe it is Hardy. And um, I just finished reading Oswald Chambers' Leagues of Light. His, his journals that I referred to earlier, 1915 to 1917. It's just straight up journal entries. Wow. That was extraordinary. So good. <laughs> All right. Sh- shifting, shifting gears, one of the things you talk about is the idea of uh, uh, God prints, how God has created you specifically. And I love that picture. Uh, of that each of us is unique and we're each uh, uh, on our own uh, journey. And I know that uh, the book actually helps people try and find that. So that'd be the place to start, but uh, kind of any second steps that you would give people of, uh, uh, or maybe just some inspiration that they do have God prints that uh, to, to try and explore that idea. Yes. Well, I think that there's a premise that we often operate from that God wants to use us and we want to, we want to serve God. We want to make a difference, but he, he never really wanted to use us, let alone exhaust us. He always wanted to love us. He always wanted to love us and he designed us with love in mind. So if we were to hire a spiritual investigator to dust us, we would each be covered with a unique set of fingerprints and, and, that isn't just so we can do something unique, which all of us have a special place in the kingdom to do something together, but it's also so that we can know love. So a God print is just a phrase that I use to try to capture the reality that God designed us to love us and we need to discover uh, how we tap into that love. So I use the example, I think in the book of um, Barry, my husband, that if I were to look at his God print and design a life that was totally wrapped around his God print. You know, he would have a hobby farm with a greenhouse for the cold winter. He would have a great John Deere tractor. He would be able to work with his hands, spend endless hours with his family and have this chair where people could always come and just talk to him while he and Jesus were gardening because he's a master mentor. And he'd never have to answer another email for the rest of his life. (laughs) (laughs) And then he needs to do everything face to face. Now, obviously uh, that's not real life. We can't, uh, we can't always live that way, but taking the time to think about our God print, think about the things that make us feel alive, the things that make us feel like we have gained, the things that make us feel like we just were drained, helps us incorporate one of those things um, into our daily life. So for me, I always try every day to read a biography or to play the piano or to have a chance to walk in some unmanicured woods. These are some things that really help unclutter me, help remind me of God's personal love for me. And can't just do that all day long. I still have boxes, you know, to figure out. <laughs> Don't but, <we> all. <laughs> but um, God print helps us connect with those things and start treasuring those things, not as once we retire extras. No, no, this is a part of your God print. This needs to be a priority in honoring the gift of love God's given us. Well, I, I love that idea because you're not uh, uh, condemning yourself because you aren't like somebody else. Uh, you're, you are who you are and uh, your husband, you know, wanting to have a greenhouse that, that wouldn't speak to me. <laughs> that would not be my idea of a good time. Uh, and that, that's good that God, I mean, God's so creative and beautiful from that standpoint that he gives each of us kind of, and I think we may feel guilty 
because we enjoy something uh, when it really doesn't, you know, that's part of the richness of who God's made us to, yeah. to enjoy those things. Uh, yes, absolutely. And we need to remember them, you know, was it that instrument that you barely even know how to hold anymore? Well, pick it up again. Or is it painting? Is it early morning jogs? Is it travel? God delights. Again, we do these things with him. And that makes them glorious. And one of the big takeaways for me from the sacred slow was that whole idea of the, I mean, when you're talking about margin, it's that with God journey that it's all part of that. Even when you feel like you're, again, I'm probably doing my own counseling here, but my, my, my achievement oriented nature, sometimes when there's uh, not that space of being productive you'd feel like you're not honoring god but it's sometimes in that space is really where uh when i'm doing a puzzle I, i'm honoring yes. honoring god at that, that moment yes absolutely and i i think that um i don't know where i was but i raised the question you know is our church growth being fueled by exhaustion there are different types of growth and sometimes any gardener will tell you the best thing they can do for a plant is to prune it back and we don't allow for that type of growth anymore in our faith and in our lives we want to always be you know ever increasing in productivity and things you can measure and things you can count and things you can offer and things you can give um, but that's just, not, it's not sustainable. There are different types of growth. And I think that attending to God print attends to another very important and ancient type of growth. And, and with that, it leads uh, well into uh, one of my, you quote uh, Henry Nouwen uh, talking about uh, the idea of, uh, I guess, retreat, uh, an hour a day, an afternoon a week, uh, a day a month, a week a year. Uh, now, uh, first of all, is that something that you personally, uh, you follow that rhythm? I do in part. I do a week, a year, a day, a month, and then every day there's time, but I don't clock it in at 60 minutes. Um, every week there's normally a, a longer extended time, but not necessarily an afternoon or a morning. So uh, if someone... Uh, and that was inspirational to me, and I'm trying to imagine what that's going to look like uh, for me personally. But uh, if someone, say they're a stay-at-home mom uh, or uh, uh, a business person, maybe a, a, I'm hoping some CEOs listen to this, <laughs> but uh, that uh, you know they're trying to run a company, uh, uh, what advice would you give them about starting that journey? Yes. Yes, well, I think the first thing that we need to do is ask ourselves why and what for. We're talking about the discipline of prayer retreats and a whole bunch of different things come to people's minds when they think of prayer retreats. You know, they may have had an experience where, you know, they went on a prayer retreat and it's kind of your storm in heaven for 24 hours and get like a, an intercessory focus, which is beautiful. Um, other people may have been on silent retreats. So we kind of have to talk about what we're talking about in the beginning. <laughs> when I think of, um, when I mention prayer retreats, and this isn't the end all definition, it's just one so that we can all get on the same page for this specific conversation. Right. I'm talking about time away where I'm just whispering, I love you to Jesus. I um, don't go with any like burning need to be answered. The Lord knows that already. This is a love offering. It's kind of like above the tide. Um, this is just, I love you, and I'm going to my, my prayer retreats. I normally start with the Psalms, and I uh, read aloud descriptions of God, and that normally leads me to realize there's some things about myself you wanted to draw attention to, and I ask forgiveness, and I go back into worship and probably more forgiveness, and then I rest, take lots of naps uh, during this time, and possibly, you know, go to the piano or read some biographies, things that nourish my soul. So you get this picture of more of a soul spa than boot camp. <laughs> and, and these, these spaces have become really special for me. So 
special. But, you know, we have three children through the miracle of adoption. They all have special needs. We both work from home and we may have more flexibility than, um, than, uh, than many people do who are going to read this and think, well, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but how do we make that reality? So first, I just want to emphasize the, the purpose is just to whisper, I love you to Jesus. There's no strings attached, love offering above the tithe. So how do we incorporate them, that into life? And I think it's by seizing the small spaces. Uh, there's uh, we, we live out in the country, Kevin, and years after we moved here, we decided we'd better pave part of it just for you know, practicality of the weather we did here sometimes. And when they were laying the pavement out, I don't know anything about paving anything, but they had these cracks in between these big, large slabs. And my mind's rolling. I'm thinking, why, why do they have the cracks? Do they run out? Um, are they shorting us? You know, what's the deal? And my husband's like, no, babe, you have to have the cracks because, you know, in heat, it expands. In winter, it contracts. The cracks enables the larger slabs to stay solid. You have to have those spaces. And I, of course, being, you know, my mentoring brain is always on. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like life. You know, we think everything happens in the big slabs, but it's in those small spaces. How we attend to the small spaces affects whether or not those big slabs are going to stay nice and solid or whether they're going to crack eventually. So think about the small. Think about uh, while you're waiting at that red light. Think about uh, while you're waiting in line to pick up your child. Think about, um, you know, when you've got that 20 minute space between running that next errand or that next phone call or that next meeting in the office. And take some big deep breaths and say, Jesus, thank you that you are with me. Thank you that your presence doesn't thicken with my joy. It doesn't thin with my pain. You are with me. I love you. And it, attending to the small cracks are what I would is what I would recommend, Kevin. Those small spaces, don't underestimate them. Don't stuff them with another check of social media. Don't stuff them with some kind of obsessive return to that YouTube video you were wanting to see. Let the space breathe and think with God in that space. And then that starts to expand and overflow into the bigger slabs of our lives. Really, that's so good because you, the, our tendency in those spaces nowadays is to fill it with the social media. It's to, uh, you know, you have that moment while you're at the grocery store or whatever, waiting to get to the checkout. Uh, we fill it with the, you know, pull out our phone and scroll through a little bit and, and we can take those moments and, and breathe, <laughs> uh, breathe in God's presence in that moment and uh, probably feel better when we get to the checkout anyways. <laughs> exactly. We discover, you know, what, what used to be called boredom. Now boredom is like anathema, you know. But, um, boredom is the birthplace of a whole lot of creativity. We've got to rediscover it. What was uh, that deep work? There's a book called Deep Work, right? One of the main points is to embrace the boredom. That if we're gonna if we're gonna do deep work, we have to uh, embrace boredom as part of that process. So. Uh, that's a that's a uh, that's really good uh, and that's kind of uh even brother lawrence's uh practice of the presence of god mm -hmm. as you're cooking and uh, and you you quote him uh the foundation of spiritual life for me has been a high image of god and a high esteem of god uh do you have a uh, kind of a says mentoring is your thing uh mentoring advice on either in, in your own story, how you built your image of God, or if someone's trying to say, okay, my picture of God's probably not where it should be. Uh, how, how, how can I build that uh, to where it should be? Yes. Well, um, as, as you just mentioned, the book really spends, I think we have like five or even nine chapters between God concept and self concept that we focus on because often we start our faith walk with Jesus and we kind of just hope that God concept is inherited while we're sleeping on our you know, with a pillow, pillow on, with our Bible under our pillow. You know? <laughs> um, 
but it is something that has to be worked on. I had a head start with God concept from my atheist father, Kevin. Uh, Daddy did not um, believe in God. By the time I was born, he had some kind of beautiful experience in the Methodist revival as a child. Something awful happened. He turned away and never looked back until Jesus interrupted my life later on. But my dad was just extraordinary. And he would always sit me down and he would say, he called me the daughter. What's the daughter thinking about? And I would say, oh, well, daddy, you know, I'm thinking about whether it was the mosquito that now had become a hippopotamus that bit me in the middle of the night, or I was thinking about, you know, the gross injustices in the world or whatever it was. And um, my crazy questions. And he would say, oh, that's good thinking, daughter. Boy, that's, you're a good thinker, daughter. The world's got to hear what you're thinking about. My daddy, um, throughout, you know, the entire, before he passed away, everything I said to him was just like gold. It didn't matter how ridiculous. He loved hearing my voice. He loved it. No question shamed him or shocked him or shut him down. Um, he just, man, he thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. And a lot of people who were listening didn't have that gift for whatever reason. You know, their fathers either were absent or their fathers gave them as much as they could give, but it wasn't what I'm describing right now. So I know that this was a very unusual gift. So when Jesus interrupted my atheistic existence, Kevin, and somebody said, oh, by the way, God is now your father. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> because I had this immediate sense of a welcoming father, a father who was delighted to hear my voice and to hear my questions. A father who didn't shrink back from my honesty, but who thought it was pretty fabulous. I transferred the best of my dad on to God, and that worked really well. So some of us have that story, and many of us don't, um, of a welcoming father, of a, a protective brother, of a faithful and trustworthy Holy Spirit. And so we have to build them. My very first college mentor was a Bible scholar, Kevin, and she, from the, she was just determined that I would know how to study the Bible. And the very first studies we did were um, God the Father, all throughout Genesis to Revelation, studying his character, studying his emotions, studying his actions, studying his interactions. Next up, the Holy Spirit, all throughout the Bible. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is he like? And what emotions does he um, portray and what actions does he do? So she spent, I mean, close to four years teaching me from the scriptures about the character of God. I mean, Fort Knox, <laughs> fabulous. And that's where I encourage people to start. Study God the Father, study Jesus, study the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and see the beauty of their character. Um, and allow it to really begin to penetrate and repaint your portrait of God. Let the original picture speak. I, we're, we're winding down our time here, but I wanted to get to the, uh, you, you talk about listening as part mm -hmm. of the, the process of, uh, and a couple, a couple lines that I loved, uh, Listening safeguards a heart against spiritual adultery and listening has benefits whether or not anything is heard because it disciplines our mind. Uh, listening may seem foreign to some people just because it's, uh, I mean, the idea that God speaks to us is probably, <laughs> is, is, I suppose, just a unique uh, thing. Uh, but uh, any uh, advice or what, what do you find the greatest challenge people have in this process? Cause this, your sacred slow. I mean, it's all about listening and, and hearing that whole uh, journal process and things like that. Uh, what, what do you find is the greatest challenge that people have as they go th through that process? Yes. I, I find the challenge goes in two ways. If we were to think of a pendulum swing, right? So on one way, on the one side, I think people have trouble listening because we're obsessed with outcome. And we want something not only that we can hold, but that's verifiable. And, and so we, we want to, at the end of the day, come up with a product 
you know, I listened to God for two hours and he downloaded the seven point plan to grow my church or (laughs) this three point plan for taking the next step in my business. And so when we don't exit with that, uh, we we struggle with whether it was a worthy investment. Um, But again, we wait on God because he's worthy of waiting on whether or not he ever speaks. When you wait on somebody, you're showing respect for who they are, right? And we think about, uh, some people still have this custom, you know, nobody starts to eat until everybody's at the table. It's, we're waiting because we'd rather do this together than alone. It's a a way of, of showing honor to the presence of another. And so the outcome may not be a seven point or a three point or whatever, but we wait on God whether or not he says anything. Waiting is devotional. Waiting is about love. I also find that people struggle on the other side because they may remember some of the stuff people came up with from their quote unquote waiting times that was wacky. Can we just say it? I mean, I all have some memories about I was waiting on the Lord and he told me, you know, whatever to plant this tree. And if I didn't do it, I don't, you know, whatever. And people are like, Ooh, wow, really? And, and so, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, how do I know? Let's say I do hear something. Let's say I do something. Is it me? Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it, you know, pizza? The sense of how can I really know with surety what it is I think I'm hearing? And I'd rather not take the risk. You know, so I'm just going to keep going. I hope productivity works because I'm just going to keep going. And uh, my encouragement, so here's my encouragement both ways. I've already mentioned, you know, for those that struggle with, uh, you know, an obsession with outcomes, we wait because he's worthy of waiting on. The outcome is love. For those who struggle with listening because they don't, they're like, how on earth do I know whether it's me or God? This is going to sound a little crazy, but open up the Bible, (laughs) spend a few minutes soaking deeply in whatever it is, the gospels, the words of Jesus, and then just wait on him. And if what comes to your mind seems to be within the parameters of scripture, you're probably okay. <laughs> you're probably okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Because um, again, the focus is loving. And there's times when I emerge from a period of waiting, I'm like, you know, it's on my heart to contact a certain person and just see if they're okay. Well, give it a shot. Um, God's not under any illusions about our perfection. He knows we're, we're learning. We're you know, finding our way in the dark and a lot of these things. I, I, I remember when I, I, I was first in the discipline as a teenager trying to, trying to learn God's voice. And the, I, the first time I, that I, I you know, in one of those prayer waiting moments, I, I sense that God was saying, uh, Kevin, I love you. And I mean, as a teenager, you know, I, okay, that is not that, I mean, that's not a huge leap, but for me, that was huge. And that's just right from scripture. You could get that, but it was, for me, it was life-changing because the God of the universe loves me, you know? And so just because it's not, you know, that seven point thing that someone, you know, their life plan that comes out of it, it doesn't mean it's not valuable to, to hear God's voice in those simple things. Exactly. Yes. It gives us space to hear the whispers, and we need to. We need to. Um, well, before we leave, first of all, let me again encourage anyone listening to uh, get your uh, get your book. Uh, I, a couple of reviews. Someone said you're the C.S. Lewis of our generation. I, I can I can I can get that. I can. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I'm looking forward to all now. Now I've. Uh, Got your first book now i gotta go all the other ones right so <laughs> and you did it backwards whenever people are just starting to read my stuff i tell them to start with anonymous if they if anonymous resonated go to 40 days of decrease and if they survive 40 days of decrease then dive into the sacred slow so you kind of- <laughs> uh, uh, yeah now i have to decrease after this there right? you go. <laughs> um but any uh, kind of parting shot that you would have or any place you'd like to encourage people to go website things like that and i always want to give people a, a final ask or even a just a final encouragement that you'd have to give to the audience well if they'd love to if they'd like to learn more or to connect you can just go to alishasholy.com 
and I'm most active on Insta, but we're also got a Facebook author page and Twitter. We're just about to do something fun. Uh, the 40 Days of Decrease is actually a 40-day heart prep for Easter, kind of overlapping the ancient tradition of Lent, except instead of fasting you know, social media and designer coffee and chocolate, we fast apathy and injustice and revenge and regret. So on March the 6th, I'm not sure when this is going to launch, but uh, March the 6th, I'm going to be starting on my Facebook author page an interactive um, daily journey for those 40 days. So anybody be welcome to jump in. Also, if you want to learn more about God print, I'm pretty sure that that's the free download on my website right now. I'll have to check um, with my assistant and make sure, but it's like a six day god print discovery that you can just download for free and enjoy that with jesus and i guess a closing encouragement would be may god help us not confuse abundance for obedience that's <clears throat> that's a great place to to, to end uh, and so thank you so much for being uh, with us today i appreciate your time and uh, this has been so rich <laughs> oh, thank you so much for the opportunity it was a joy to be with you well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed and were challenged by that conversation. If you enjoyed that episode and are new to the podcast, let me encourage you to go back and listen to my conversation with Mark Allen Schoolmeesters or the episode with Chris Maxwell, or just pick a random one, I guess. But uh, those two might be a good place to start. We also have some great guests lined up in the future, so why don't you take a moment and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Uh, looking for one of the books we mentioned, just head on over to the show notes, uh, www.christconnection.cc podcast and this episode post will have all that you uh, need right there so you can just click on the links and go go from there uh, while you're there why don't you check out the other resources we have for your adventure with jesus because that's what we're all about that's what we're doing this for so again that's christconnection.cc podcast so now until next time thanks for listening mm-hmm.